Welcome back to episode four of From the Shotgun. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, TJ Sarbacker. TJ, how are you? Doing well tonight, Sean. My uh, my team got a big dub this past Sunday, and our favorite college team, Nevada Wolfpack, big-time dub over FU and LV. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a big weekend. Uh, you went two for two. I went one for two, so, you know. I'll take the one win. So we're going to get things started tonight by talking about my team. That is the San Francisco 49ers and all of the news around the team. So it started on Sunday in the game against the Seahawks with Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle both leaving. And we found out on Monday that it is likely that both – will miss the remainder of the season. Jimmy Garoppolo with a high ankle sprain. George Kittle had a fractured foot. Both of them are, looks like, contemplating some sort of surgery. I talked a lot last week about how Kyle Shanahan needed to trust Jimmy Garoppolo. And even before the injury, it didn't seem like he did. It was a lot of short stuff, dink and dunk. And Jimmy Garoppolo threw a pass behind George Kittle. That was just terrible. It was behind him and it ended up being intercepted and Garoppolo goes out with this injury and Nick Mullins comes in and does what he does granted it was garbage time but it is something to look towards because on Monday once the news of Garoppolo's injury had dropped it was a lot of Garoppolo is done on 49ers Twitter so we might have seen the last of Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco now George Kittle is Huge piece of that offense. He's probably the most important piece behind Debo Samuel, or even probably even more important. So this is a huge blow to the team, not to mention the stuff that we'll talk about in just a second. But TJ, do you have any thoughts on Garoppolo and Kittle going out and what that means for the 49ers going forward? I think definitely like you, what you were saying, I feel like Kittle's probably one of the biggest losses the 49ers offense could possibly have. And I think that's mainly because like not only is he like the – I don't know, probably one of the best skill players that you guys have. But I would say he's that energy guy, you know. He's like he's a dude that brings energy every single play, every single snap. And when you take that away, your team or your offense, I should say, is almost left lifeless in a way. It's like, you know, when you have like a little remote control car, you take the battery out. You know, obviously the car doesn't run anymore. I feel like George Kittle is kind of like that battery. And once you remove him, once he's out of the game, there's just not much life on the offense, even if, you know, you were to still have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, and those two guys, unfortunately, got put on the COVID list as well, alongside your uh, wide receiver Kendrick Bourne. So for the Niners, it's just like, it's like, what do you got? It's like every single offensive weapon coming into the season, they're just no more. It's almost like Thanos snapped his fingers and like half of the 49ers roster just got it completely eliminated, completely taken off due to injury and it seemed like it was that way to begin with for the Niners so far this season but the, you know the bad luck just keeps keeps rolling for you guys you were saying how you were one for two this weekend but I because of the Niners loss obviously but I feel like that on top of all the injuries and dudes that'll be out this week I feel like it's got to feel a lot worse than that yeah I mean it's huge especially the expectations that this roster had coming into the season I mean, you're coming off a Super Bowl. Granted, it was a loss, but you're still coming off a Super Bowl, and you add 
a guy like Brandon Ayuk, who has flashed a ton and has seemingly been that missing wide receiver piece that 49ers fans have been calling for for the past two years. And then Bosa goes down. Solomon Thomas goes down. Sherman hasn't seen the field. Mosley went down for a while. It's, and then not to mention everything that you talked about on offense. I know I'm not alone when I say that it's the draft season started as soon as that Seahawks game ended for the 49ers. Moving forward, we're going to talk about all that COVID stuff that you were mentioning with the 49ers. So Kendrick Bourne, one of the 49ers wide receivers, tested positive. We later find out that Debo Samuel, their number one receiver, who was already on the IR and was going to miss a few weeks. Then Brandon Ayuk tests positive, their number two receiver and rookie out of Arizona State that they just drafted. And on top of it all, Trent Williams, their all-pro left tackle that they got from the Washington football team in the offseason, also tested positive, is going to miss Thursday night's game against the Packers. Now, on top of all that, even though it wasn't, it's not COVID-related, Tevin Coleman is going to miss Thursday's game. So, like you said, it's just it keeps snowballing for the Niners, and they don't have any offensive skill position starter playing against the Packers that they did in the NFC Championship game where they, frankly, blew the Packers out of the building. So this is going to be a much different game, and it might derail the 49ers' season because, you know, they have the Packers and then they go on this crazy hard schedule run here in the next few weeks. So one of the NFC powerhouses is taking a step back with all these injuries and it leaves the door open for other teams that are, that are trying to get in, like our least favorite team, the Chicago Bears. So what are your overall thoughts on how, one, these injuries and the COVID list affects the Niners, and two, how it could affect the NFC going forward. So, you know, as fortunate, or as much as I don't want to say it, I think all of these dudes being out, especially if it's out for a significant period of time, I don't know how the Niners come back from it, unfortunately. And I, you know, I think that they would be lucky with the roster that they have right now if that is the roster moving forward for a majority of the rest of the season, because we're at the halfway point already. And that's crazy. And, you know, looking at the schedule that the Niners have coming up as well, like you were kind of talking about, I think they'll be lucky to finish with seven wins. And personally, I feel like that's being a little bit generous as well, because like you said, Samuel out, Ayuk out, shout out Brandon Ayuk, Reno legend, McQueen alum, Trent Williams out, Kendrick Bourne out, Kittle out. I mean, you could just keep going on and on. It's, it's unbelievable how many injuries and dudes that have had to sit out that the 49ers have suffered this year. And I think as a football fan, for me personally, it's, it really hurts me a lot because, like, I was really, really looking forward to, like you're kind of talking about, the potential that that Niners roster had. And I was really looking forward to those, like, hunker down, nip and tuck games that they had remaining specifically against their division rivals in the NFC West. We've talked about how competitive that NFC West division has been so far this season. And with all these injuries for the Niners, it's almost like they kind of just fall off the picture at this point, I would say. As far as the, you know, the rest of the NFC goes, I do think it, it's probably going to let in 
a team like the Chicago Bears into the NFC playoff picture for sure now because the Bears, you know, at the five win mark, I think they should at the very least get to eight wins in the in the next half of their schedule. And personally, with the extended playoff format, I think that's probably going to be more than enough to get into the playoffs this season. Yeah, it definitely is a bummer, not just as a, not a 49ers fan, but as a football fan, as you were saying, those NFC West games are always really, really good games. And taking a team like the Niners away from that, it makes football a little worse, to be honest with you. And as you were saying with the Bears, it definitely seems like they can sneak in now that you have a team like the Niners completely falling out of the race, essentially. You're still going to have teams like the Rams and the Cardinals fighting for another spot, but it opens the door a ton in the NFC. Moving on to another addition to the COVID list, that is Detroit Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford. The Lions are coming off a 41-21 to loss at the Colts, putting them at 3-4. and four. And the Lions, as incomplete as they are, with the schedule going forward, it was plausible that they could have been one of those teams kind of scraping their way to try and get a playoff spot in the NFC. Now, with Stafford out for however long he is out dealing with COVID, and hopefully he gets better and he gets healthy because he is one of the best quarterbacks to watch in football, in my opinion. What kind of impact do you think it has on the Lions and their season? I think obviously it's huge. I mean, you lose your starting quarterback in any capacity, whether he gets benched, like in the case of the Chicago Bears, or, you know, gets injured, like in the case of 49ers, Garoppolo, or like here with the, you know, COVID stuff that's been going on this season. You know, obviously it's going to give opportunities for some of their backup quarterbacks. Um, On their depth chart on ESPN says Chase Daniel would be their starter this coming week. I think it's just, once again, it's going to be another big blow because I – think whenever you lose your starting quarterback in any capacity it just it once again takes away kind of the main piece of what you had been working with on the offensive side of things for the entire season and we're again like I said we're at the halfway point so you've already worked with Matthew Stafford on the offense through seven games so far in 2020 and obviously Stafford's been the quarterback for many years now as well like you're saying I think he's definitely been one of the most consistent quarterbacks in the league I feel like he's he's always been like just this close to just taking that next step and being going from like good and consistent to like really good and he had been pretty good so far this year I mean he had the consistency that we've come to see from Matthew Stafford so far through seven games even though they lost pretty big at the hands of the Colts but this was a three and three football team going into that game even 500 and like I was kind of saying eight and eight if you finish the season at 500, that might be good enough to get you into the playoff picture, especially with the Niners potentially out of the picture. And again, since it's a COVID thing, Stafford will probably only be out for hopefully just a couple weeks or so. Hopefully he gets better, gets some negative tests in there. But yeah, it's going to hurt for a couple weeks for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying with the Bears, it's not as if with a healthy Matthew Stafford, they couldn't beat the Bears. I mean, we almost saw them win in week one if it wasn't for a DeAndre Swift drop touchdown and their schedule going forward was 
at the Vikings, home against Washington, at the Panthers, home against the Texans, and then you get the Bears and Soldier Field. That was maybe a recipe for them to get a little something going. But with Stafford out, it hurts their chances, especially if Chase Daniel, who uh, has been floating around the league and getting massive contracts to be a backup quarterback, is their starter. One thing about Stafford, I was doing a little research on him the other day, actually, because I was curious. Matthew Stafford ranks 11th all-time in game-winning drives in NFL history. Yeah, so... In NFL history? In NFL history, yep. 11th all-time. But regardless, that is something that kind of shocked me as, you know, the Lions have not been very good over the past few years. But now we're going to move on to review some of the games from this past week in the NFL. And first, we're going to start with the Raiders at the Browns. The Raiders came out on top of this one, 16 to 6. There's only one touchdown scored in this game, and that was a Derek Carr to Hunter Renfro connection. The Browns, we talked about this last week with the Baker Mayfield cycle and how, you know, he looks like an all pro one game and then kind of takes a step back and just looks like a guy that needs everything to be perfect around him. And in this game, you know, 12 for 25, 122 yards, he did have some drops. There were some big drops from his skill position players, but he wasn't able to overcome and win a game that was very winnable. I mean, it's not as if the Raiders were doing anything crazy. Josh Jacobs ran for 128 yards, but that was essentially it. I mean, Derek Carr only threw for 112 yards. So I think this game is something to look at when you're looking at the Browns as a potential playoff team and whether or not they can hold their own in one, a playoff race, and two, a playoff game, especially if they're a lower seed where they're going to have to play a team like the Ravens or the Chiefs. What were your thoughts on this game and if you have anything about the Browns going forward or the Raiders going forward? Yeah, so this was a game that unfortunately got hit with a little bit of bad weather. I definitely think that probably had something to do with the low scoring, but I really like what you were saying as far as if the Browns want to be that playoff team that can go in to Baltimore or go into Pittsburgh or go into Kansas City and win a playoff game, it's got to start with teams like the Raiders. Because I think the Raiders with the start that they're off to, they could very easily sneak their way into the playoffs as well. So in order to beat some of those upper echelon teams, on the road even, you got to start by defending your home turf and beating these potentially playoff-bound teams. And that's something that the Browns couldn't do this week. And I think it's really disappointing because they were coming off of a game they could have or should have easily lost against my Cincinnati Bengals. And I think that was kind of my logic last week was, okay, Baker's cycle, we know about it. And I personally thought that coming off of that win and then coming back home to play the Raiders, I didn't think the Raiders were as good of a team where Baker would kind of flounder as he did. Again, granted, there was bad weather here and there. But come on, you got to throw for more than 122 yards on your home turf if you know you want to get a win. This was a game that I think the Browns needed to win to kind of take that next step. Because I'll tell you what, six and two 
looks much, much better than five and three. Because, you know, you're sitting at six and two, and you're looking, if you're the Browns, you're still, your only two losses would have been on the road against Pittsburgh and on the road against Baltimore, which, granted, those are games that they probably would have lost, got blown out in. But I don't know. You just would have been looking real nice at six and two if you're the Cleveland Browns because you end up hosting the Texans in your next game after the bye week, and then you host the Eagles. So I think that was definitely a game that would have been nice for the Browns to have, especially going into the bye week, kind of give them some of that positive energy, that positive momentum, but they just couldn't really get it done. Um, And those are my thoughts on the Browns. I'm going to throw it to you. What are your thoughts on the Raiders after this game? I still, I don't really know what to make of them, to be honest with you. Because, you know, we see a game like this where they're, they're a warm weather team who now plays in a dome going up to Cleveland where it's like sleeting outside. So that might have played a factor in it. But you see a game like this versus a game like the Chiefs game or the Saints game where they look fantastic and it's kind of up and down. One thing I will say about the Raiders, and it's one of my favorite football quotes from a podcast called The Solid Verbal. They cover college football, but one of their favorite things to say is win your clunkers. And that still works for NFL teams. You got to win your clunkers. If you are going to make a playoff push, you got to win these games where you look bad, they look bad, you're fighting it out. You have to come on top and win those crappy games, for a lack of a better term. Like I said, I still don't really know what to make of the Raiders just yet. And their schedule coming up, they have the Chargers, the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Falcons. They could easily lose just one game to Chiefs in that. So we could be looking at a team fighting for a wild card spot against the Browns. And like I said, I don't know what to make of them, but they have a shot, especially if Derek Carr can stay within himself and stay within that offense and just play to the strengths of your team and one don't try to do too much because I don't really know if Derek Carr can go out and win a game by himself so he's got to you know let Josh Jacobs run the ball throw your slants to Darren Waller possibly a deep out to Henry Ruggs that's a recipe for success for the Raiders and if they can do that who's to say they can't make some sort of wild card run it's hard for me to tell with this team because that defense is just not good so we'll see moving forward I'm still not a huge Raiders believer but I am willing to be proven wrong moving on to our next game that we talked about last week and that was Steelers and Ravens one of the biggest rivalries in the NFL the Steelers went into Baltimore and won 20 to 24 to improve to 7-0 and Ben Roethlisberger through two touchdowns on just 182 yards. James Conner didn't really get going aside from a touchdown. And I think one of the biggest stories out of this game was Lamar Jackson. He threw two picks. I believe he fumbled the ball in the red zone as well. This is something that the Ravens have to clean up if they want to go out and beat the Steelers and the Chiefs, teams like that. We talked about how last week how the Steelers were right up there with the Chiefs as the best team in the AFC. So it was just really a huge surprise given what the Ravens 
had shown against the Chiefs a few weeks ago. What are your thoughts on the Ravens and what they can do moving forward and the Steelers as well? Well, for the Ravens, I feel like they just kind of ran into a buzzsaw that was that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I kind of mentioned it last week in the sense that, like, Lamar Jackson really had to do something specifically through the air in this game, and that's what it came down to, too, actually. It was a Lamar Jackson incomplete pass on fourth down that turned the ball over on downs, gave it back to Pittsburgh. They just ended up taking a knee and winning that game. But I mentioned last week that Lamar Jackson was going to really need to do something through the air just to kind of mix up the offense up enough in order to keep them in this game because the run game was still there. They had three guys get 15-plus carries, ran the ball for 265 yards. Against that Steelers defense is just insanely impressive, I believe. But you look at Lamar Jackson, he only threw for 208 yards and had those two picks as well. As much as I like Lamar Jackson and as much of an athlete he is, he's got to do more in the passing game if the team as a whole, and specifically the offense, wants to be successful in this league. As good as they are on the ground, you can't just go around and be – you know, this just one-dimensional run game type offense, it'll win you some games. Needless to say, for the Ravens, it's won them five this year. The only two losses have come to the Steelers and the Chiefs. But I just think they really need to find a way for Jackson to get more done through the air in order for that team, and like I said, the offense to be successful. For Pittsburgh, on the other hand, another big win for them. In back-to-back weeks, they found their way to grind out two big wins on the road against two should-be playoff teams in the Titans and the Ravens. And I really think that shows the grittiness of the Steelers because I think through the first five games of the season, people were kind of saying, okay, they haven't really proved themselves that much. They won on the road against the Giants, but then had four straight home games against the Broncos, Texans, Eagles, and Browns for not extremely good teams, best of that bunch being definitely Cleveland. But I think these last two weeks have been huge for the Steelers. I think they've kind of been proving people wrong in that they're able to get it done in close games on the road. And that's like something that, you know, the Cleveland Browns have been needing to do. But I think this definitely divides the Steelers and the Chiefs as my top two teams in the AFC by a decently good margin, too, I would say. Yeah, I totally agree. The Steelers and the Chiefs are in a tier their own in the AFC in my opinion but back to your point about the Ravens offense I mean they outgained the Steelers 457 to 221 in this game you look at that alone if you had told me that was the case going into this game I would have thought that this wouldn't have really been close I would have figured the Ravens win this by two scores but that offense has to get going like you were saying especially the passing game I mean Marquise Brown only had a catch for three yards granted it was a touchdown but you drafted him the first round for a reason. You drafted him to stretch the field because you thought Lamar can throw down the field. And he definitely can, but you have to use Marquise Brown in that way. I mean, he's a first-round receiver for a reason, and he's super talented. The Ravens just, as fun as they are to watch and as good as they are, as good as they were last year, as good as they are this year, in today's NFL, you can't really rely on just the run. Like you were saying, you have to mix it up a little bit. You have to throw the ball. You have to throw the ball down the field to win in this game. So the Ravens and Greg Roman need to maybe adjust a little on offense just to 
get them over that hump of being able to compete with teams that do that exact thing. As for the Steelers, I mean, there's not really much for me to say. This is the second best team in the AFC, in my opinion, and maybe the third best team in the league. So if they can keep this up going forward, which I expect them to, there's really not a whole lot about this team that shows me that they're going to regress at any point. They're going to be a Super Bowl contender in the AFC. Moving forward, we are going to talk about my 49ers heading into Seattle. <laughs> Look, we both talked about it last week. I kind of copped out and refused to uh, name a winner in this game, which I am certainly glad I did that. You thought that the, the Niners could compete in this game, and granted, neither of us could have seen, one, Jimmy Garoppolo playing that poorly, and two, him getting hurt and Nick Mullins having to play from behind. But even if that's the case, you know, this defense did not look very good against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. And granted, it's Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. But that play to DK Metcalf, that first touchdown where he caught just a slant and took it all the way up the field and missed four defenders, they weren't even close to him. Like, the Niners, even if they were ahead at one point, which they were 7-6, to six, this game was not close at any point. I mean, they couldn't get the run game going whatsoever. Jamichael Hasty led the team with 29 yards. Brandon Ayuk looked fantastic, and that was something to get excited about moving forward, but now he lands on the COVID list. There's not much to say about this team, or about this game, excuse me, other than the Niners just had kind of a crappy game plan. Again, Kajanhan didn't trust Garoppolo, you could see that when he called a wildcat on what should have been a touchdown drive. This game doesn't change my opinion that the Seahawks are extremely vulnerable, especially on defense. But what are your thoughts mainly about the Seahawks? Because we already talked about the 49ers. Or if you have something that you would like to say about what the 49ers did in this game, just give me your overall thoughts. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of quickly about the 49ers before I jump into the Seahawks, just kind of you know, reiterate what you were saying about Jimmy Garoppolo. And, like, because you look at his stats from this game, 11 for 16, 84 yards. But I think the big one that stands out to me, 5.3 yards per catch. And that's kind of what you're talking about with that trust. You need to trust your quarterback. You need to trust Jimmy Garoppolo, especially when the run game's really not working that well for you guys. You need to trust him to stretch the field, throw the ball down the field, find IU, find Kendrick Bourne, what have you. All those guys right there that I kind of mentioned, even Debo Samuel when he's healthy, all those guys, they can, they're playmakers. You didn't draft Brandon Ayuk for him to make consistently five-yard catches, 10-yard catches. You want a guy like Brandon Ayuk to stretch the field. That's the type of guy that he was at Arizona State. And once again, shout out Reno Legend at McQueen High School as well. But yeah, I just think everything about the management of Jimmy Garoppolo, just the trust, uh, that he has, you know, with the offensive coordinator and whatnot, it's just not there. And it's unfortunate to see him and Kittle land on the injured list and for like what we were kind of saying, Ayuk and Bourne and Samuel to land on the COVID list. As for the Seahawks, on the other hand, I once again, like you were saying, definitely think this team is exposable, especially, especially on the defensive side of things. Obviously, they didn't do extremely well on the ground with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde out. 
this week. DJ Dallas had the majority of the carries, 18 for 41 yards and a touchdown. But, you know, obviously they'll, they'll be fine once Carson comes back, which I think I saw he could potentially come back this week. But in order for the Seahawks to be a successful team, I think especially come postseason time, they have got to do something about that defense because no offense whatsoever to Nick Mullins, but Nick Mullins came in and he played extremely well. 18 of 25, 238 yards and two touchdowns, a 97 QB off. And once again, no offense whatsoever to Nick Mullins, but when you have a guy like him putting up that type of numbers on you guys in relief in the second half, I'd say something's a little bit wrong, but yeah, I mean, obviously offensive side of things, I think the Seahawks are just fine, especially once they get Chris Carson back and Russell Wilson's still going to do his thing. I still think he's the uh, leading candidate for MVP vote this year, but yeah, just got to do something about that Seattle defense in order for them to be successful. Yeah. I mean, and this is not to take away from Seattle's offense saying that they're exposable. This offense is scary. I mean, Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson, and DK Metcalf is coming into his own and looks even better than he did last year. And Tyra Lockett is one of the most underrated receivers in football. And then once you get Chris Carson back and Carlos Hyde, this offense can compete with just about anyone in football. But the defense is just – it's so weird to watch knowing what the Seahawks used to be and seeing what they are now. And like you said, something has to be fixed for them to be a legitimate NFC contender, especially when you look at a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're pretty complete on both sides of the football. And you look at the Seahawks, and they have one of the best offenses in the league and one of, if not the worst defense in football. So it's something that they had to figure out. And Pete Carroll is a great coach. and you might adjust it's just kind of a wait and see on the Seahawks team because they don't fix it like we've been saying someone can go into Seattle and beat them in the playoffs moving on to the NFC least if you want to call them that the Philadelphia Eagles hosted the Dallas Cowboys and Ben DiNucci on Sunday Night Football and this was one of, if not the worst game of the year. I mean, honestly. Carson Wentz, 15 for 27, 123 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. That alone is not the best performance. And then you go over to the Cowboys quarterback, Ben Nucci, who was 21 of 40 for 180 yards. <sighs> I don't really know what to say about this game, do you? Not really, other than the fact that I couldn't stop laughing just as you were saying basically all of that right there. Yeah, this game was absolutely atrocious. Because I was watching this game, obviously it was the Sunday night game, and I was off a couple drinks or so, so, you know, I was kind of watching it here or there, wasn't paying too much attention to it. You know, I just keep, I keep looking back to it. I'm like, man, this, like, it almost didn't feel real to me. Because the, the game, like, it was just so bad, like, I almost couldn't really bring myself to watch it just because of just how bad it was. I can't really think of any other word than bad. It was not a good game to watch. I mean, credit the Philadelphia Eagles, I guess, if you want to give any credit in this game for moving to three, four, and one. Now have a comfortable lead, if you want to call that, in first place in the NFC East. 
And yeah, as you know, we talked about James Madison legend Ben DiNucci during um, last uh, last podcast, but and you know, give him credit, I guess, if you want. He out threw uh, Carson Wentz in this game, had 200 uh, something yards, as you were saying. Other than that, I've got little to nothing to say about this game and little to nothing to say about the NFC least, as you said, as a whole. I guess one positive you could take away from this game for the Eagles is that they get Jalen Rager, their first round pick back and he scores a touchdown. So that's something to look forward to for this team to get a weapon back. That's not just Travis Fulgham and Travis Fulgham continues to play very well, but getting Rager back and getting Dallas Goddard back are two big pieces for that offense that once you get Miles Sanders back, the offense starts to look a little bit more complete. And as for Ben DiNucci, he looks to be one and done. The Cowboys look like they're going to go to either Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush. So it was fun while it lasted for Ben DiNucci, and we got a couple sidearm throws from him on Sunday Night Football. But other than that, kind of showed why he was a late-round pick from an FCS school, not to belittle him because he had a great FCS career, but he was a third-string quarterback for a reason. I think he was one of the hypest third-string one-and-done quarterbacks that the NFL will ever see. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, all the social media love he was getting – I mean, and the next one up is Trace McSorley on the Ravens. So we'll see if he gets his chance at any point, but I can't really disagree with you there. On to our final recap of the week. We have the Saints going to Chicago and beating the Bears in overtime, 26 to 23. And we haven't been too nice to the Bears on this podcast. And I think this game kind of showed why. Yes, they held their own and they took the Saints to overtime, but the offense, once again, was just lacking. You can look at Nick Foles' final numbers and say, yeah, he played okay, but watching this game, it was, like I said last week, how it seemed so hard for the Bears to move the ball, and it did once again. At one point, Troy Aikman on the broadcast said, this is where you miss Mitch Trubisky. It doesn't get any worse than that. He seemed like everyone else in America, just agonize over watching this game. And if I'm going to be hard on the Bears, I'm going to be hard on the Saints too, to be honest with you. They don't look good either. And granted, they are and were missing Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Alvin Kamara was their leading receiver with 96 yards. Drew Brees was, he was fine. But the Bears just, I don't know what more to say about them that I already haven't. The defense is great. But the offense is bad. I don't really know how else to put it. What, what are your thoughts? It's like watching like a large dog trying to like get from one place to another sometimes. Like, you know, he's kind of dragging his tail across the floor. I feel like it's kind of like that because it's like, I don't think either of us hate the Bears. We don't want the Bears to do bad. But it's just, it's hard. I can't think of any other word to put it, but it just doesn't seem easy for the Bears to get the ball down the field. I think one nice thing that came out of this game is that Cordero Patterson didn't touch the ball as much as he did last week. I know I know you're kind of talking about Matt Nagy's weird 
love with Cordell Patterson at two receptions for one yard somehow and uh, only one carry for four yards as opposed to three carries for one yard as he had against the Rams. But yeah, the Bears, I just, I don't see a way out for them. I think one ace in the hole for them personally, I was kind of seeing a little bit of this on Twitter. They got to utilize Darnell Mooney more often. That dude's an incredibly good route runner. I just watched kind of one clip on Twitter, like a 30 second clip or something like that of him running routes against, you know, defensive backs and either being overthrown or not even looked at and they just didn't get him the ball. They got him the ball a little bit more this week. He was the third leading receiver with five receptions, 69 yards, and he scored as well. Had a long 50-yard pass in there also. But I think that's kind of their ace in the hole right there. Because sure, you got Allen Robinson. Sure, you've got Anthony Miller. But I think think they need to utilize Darnell Mooney a little bit more because that dude's one heck of a route runner. And we talked about this last week with Devontae Adams. Obviously, he's not as good as Devontae Adams. But – I feel like route running is one of the more important things to have as a wide receiver in order to be successful. So I think if they can utilize him a little bit more, they have a better chance of moving the ball down the field. But if not, I just, I don't see anything that they can do in order to move the ball and score more points consistently game in and game out. For the Saints, on the other hand, like you said, Drew Brees played well, 280 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. And you look at the guys that he threw to in this game, and that, that he's been throwing to in the last couple of weeks now, he sorely, sorely misses Michael Thomas, as would anybody. And with, you know, Emmanuel Sanders out as well, I mean, those right there are easily your top two wide receivers. But I think the Saints will be fine once they get those two guys back. I think their upcoming test this coming week against the Bucks, which we'll talk about later, that'll still be a good game. I think the Saints will still be able to keep that one close at the very least. But I think the Saints are fine. Once they get some of those skilled players back alongside Alvin Kamara, I think we'll go back to seeing maybe not exactly the same old Saints, but a very similar version of the Saints as we've seen in years past. Yeah, last week I talked about how if there was a game that the Bears were going to be able to compete and keep it close, and it was going to be this game against the Saints because their defense is really good. And like we talked about, Breeze was missing – Thomas and Sanders, and even Marcus Callaway missed this game. As for the Bears' offense, like you were saying, this team doesn't lack skill position players. You have Allen Robinson, who's one of the best wide receivers in football, with a ball eventually gets to his hands. You have Anthony Miller, who is a pretty decent number two, and like you were saying with Darnell Mooney, he's a great route runner. He was a hidden gem in this draft. And on top of that, you have Cole Komet, who you just drafted to be your number one tight end. He was the best tight end in the class, and he's barely being used. I think a lot of it is on Nick Foles as much as it is Matt Nagy. Like, Matt Nagy just isn't the innovative offensive play caller that we thought he was his first year in the league. And Nick Foles being there doesn't really help because he doesn't give you a lot. He can't move around the pocket. He's kind of limited as a passer. The only reason that I even would say that the Bears have a shot at the playoffs now is as we were talking about earlier, the Niners are going to take a step back. So this team is going to have to fight and fight really hard. The defense is going to have to come up big every single week if they want to stay in games and compete for a wild card spot. That is their recipe to success. I don't know if that happens. This isn't a defense first league anymore. And that's what the bears are. That's what the bears have always been. So This team is going to be one of the more fascinating teams moving forward just because of all of those 
ingredients going forward. We don't know what is going to happen. Maybe Nick Foles will catch fire like he did in the playoffs with the Eagles. But having to count on that is not something that you want to do, to be completely honest with you. All right, moving on to our previews for this week. The first game we're going to talk about is the team that we just talked about. Actually, the Bears going on the road in Tennessee. This game, I don't think that it will be necessarily a blowout, but I also don't think that it'll be near what the Saints game was. The Titans are more complete on offense as of right now. You know, they have A.J. Brown. They have Johnny Smith. They have Derrick Henry. Again, as I was saying, with the Bears, it's not a matter of can your defense slow down the offense, but can your offense keep up? I don't think they can against the Titans. And regardless of what the Titans have done the past two weeks, losing to the Bengals, obviously, I still think that this is the Titans game to lose. And I don't see really anything changing that for me because the Bears just are not a good offense. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I feel like the Titans offense, now that A.J. Brown and Corey Davis have come back, I think their offense is going to be just fine moving forward because, you know, obviously Ryan Tannehill was relying on Jonu Smith and more or less Ferkser in their tight end spots. I think having those two guys on the outside, Brown and Davis, I think Titans offense are going to be just fine moving forward. I think last week was a little bit of an anomaly, if you will against the Cincinnati Bengals. Shout out the Bengals, for that matter. They played extremely well against Titans. That offense looks great. So I think the offense for Tennessee is going to be fine, but I just don't think that's something that the Bears offense can keep up with. Like you're kind of saying, even if the defense does what they've been able to do so far this year in order to at least limit the Titans on the offensive side of things. But it's just the offense just isn't doing them any favors. And I've talked about it before, where defense is your best offense sometimes, but... I think for the Bears, truly, their offense needs to get it done. And I don't know. I just don't see that happening. And with that all being said, I do think the Titans will win this football game. I think it'll be a football game where the Titans will be up the average one to two scores throughout the entire game. But I think when it's all said and done, I think Tennessee will probably win by probably two possessions, I'm saying, just because like we've been kind of talking about all night long and all podcasts long. The Bears offense just isn't good, and they just really can't get anything done. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Titans as well. Like I said, the past two weeks, yes, the, the loss of the Bengals is not a great look for a team that is competing for a division and competing for a playoff spot. However, I still think that they can, despite the Bears defense being very good, I think that Derrick Henry is eventually going to wear them down. The offense... I think will be a lot of three and outs and a lot of punting, which means that the defense is going to be on the field a lot. And I think Derrick Henry being who he is, being how big he is, being the guy that gets 25 to 30 carries a game, I think he'll be able to wear that defense down enough so that Tannehill later in the first half or sometime in the third quarter, he can start taking those shots down the field to AJ Brown, to Corey Davis, to Adam Humphreys. But, yeah, I think that the Titans definitely won this game. I think it can definitely be by two scores. The offense is really good. But I hate to keep hammering this point about the Bears, but their offense just – until they show me otherwise, I'm just not going to be confident in picking them in these bigger games because they just can't keep up. Moving on to another team that we've already talked about, the Seattle Seahawks 
are going into Western New York to play the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, his past two, his last two games, you know, he, we saw some struggles. This is kind of the Josh Allen experience, you know. You get what looks like a top three quarterback in football, and then you get a guy that looks like he can't tell the difference between the two jerseys. I think, though, that this is a game against the Seahawks defense where he can get right. He can get back on track to that MVP level that he was at the first few weeks of the season. Personally, I think this is going to be a shootout. The Bills, for as good as their defense has been the past few years, you know they have Tredavious White, they have Ed Oliver. It hasn't been that great this year. And even if it's been, you know, up to that level, you're going against Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf. You're going to give up some points. So in my eyes, this is going to be a shootout. This is going to be one of the more fun offensive games of the week. What do you think? Yeah, I'm definitely smashing the over of 55 is what I'm seeing on ESPN. I would absolutely take that. I could easily see these two teams scoring 30 points each. But like you're kind of saying about the Bills defense, you've got those studs on the defensive side of things in White and Oliver. And you know coming into this game, obviously the Seahawks are going to do their thing. So I think really what the Bills defense are going to have to do coming into this game is kind of take that bend-but-don't-break mentality. Because... Josh Allen, I think, like we've been kind of talking about, this is a great week for Josh Allen to bounce back to MVP form that he was through like the first four games or so. And I, I think he will be able to as well because Seahawks defense just doesn't seem like they're able to stop anything whatsoever. But, yeah, I mean, as far as the game goes as a whole, I think that's the big thing. It's just can the Bills come in on the defensive side of things with that bend but don't break mentality. And that being said, I, I personally think shootouts definitely favor Seattle because I think um, the game against Arizona was kind of sort of a fluke in a way. They very easily could have won that game during multiple points. You know, you had the Zane Gonzalez missed field goal in OT after Cliff Kingsbury iced them. And then they should have won that game if it wasn't for an offensive penalty. So I think this high-scoring affair specifically is going to favor Seattle. I think if I were to have a guy to go down the field in the fourth quarter when it's 34-31 to try and get that score, I would rather have Russell Wilson than Josh Allen. And I think that's probably what it's going to come down to. I'm not touching Seattle minus three, but I definitely think the Seahawks will win this game. And I, like I said, I can definitely see both these teams putting up 30-plus points. Yeah, you basically said everything I was going to say, that in a shootout, I'm taking Russell Wilson over Josh Allen. I mean, like I've said in the past couple podcasts, you know, Russell Wilson has this ability to just go out and win games, even when you count them out. They play these weird games, and Russell Wilson always finds a way to win them. And I have a feeling this is going to be another one of those really weird shootouts that we always see with Seattle. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Seahawks on this one. And I agree with you on the spread that three and a half just does not seem appealing whatsoever. Uh, the over is definitely something that I would smash for sure. I mean, yeah. So we're both going with Seahawks on this one. So the next game we're going to talk about is the Ravens and the Colts, the five and two Ravens and the five and two Colts. The Ravens going in to Indianapolis. The Colts are coming off a, frankly, blowout win against the Lions. They did it with limited touches from their rookie running back, 
Jonathan Taylor. Their run game hasn't really gotten it going this year, but they're using Naheem Himes out of the backfield. T.Y. Hilton still hasn't really gotten going. This game is really interesting to me because these are two offenses that are flawed, I guess, in a way. You know, the Ravens, for as good as Lamar Jackson is, they've struggled a little bit through the air so far this year. We saw that in the Steelers game this past week. And the Colts, I don't really know what their identity is on offense, to be honest with you. They're not a running team. Uh, Rivers is Rivers, and he's going to sling it around the field with his weird throwing mechanics that make sense to no one. I don't really know what to make of this game. Do you have any strong thoughts or any just opinions in general about what we're going to see from the Ravens and the Colts? I think I'm really excited to see how the Ravens offense does against the Colts defense. I think that's going to be a very exciting side of the football to watch, particularly in this ball game, because Colts defense has been one of the best defenses of the league so far this year. So I think that's going to be a really interesting side of the ball to look at. And I really like what you said about like, you know, both these offenses are kind of flawed and I feel like in different senses, like, you know, the Ravens have obviously gotten it done on offense, mainly through the ground game. Whereas we haven't seen that much of Jonathan Taylor really kind of really getting it going in the run game for the Colts. You know, they've more so been using Naheem Hines as a receiving back out of the backfield. But yeah, I think that's the key side of the football is how will the Colts defense react and how will they play against that run heavy Ravens offense? And I don't know, kind of like how I mentioned earlier, I think the Ravens offense, if they're able to utilize and stretch the field, kind of like the guy you were saying with Marquise Brown down the field, if they can try, you know, to go for some of those deep shots, try to stretch the field on the Colts defense. I think they've got a very, very good chance of winning this game as opposed to keeping the ball on the ground as they do so well. But with kind of all of that being said, as far as who's going to win this game, I'm going to go upset City this week. I'm going to take Indianapolis at home. I think, I don't know, I have a weird sort of trust with the Colts defense that they'll be able to come up with a game plan, kind of like how Pittsburgh did. I think they'll be able to come up with a game plan and be able to not completely shut down, obviously, but limit that Ravens ground game. So I'm going to take Colts in this one just because I think their defense has been pretty good this year. And I think they'll perform against this Ravens offense. I'm going to have to disagree with you here. I'm going to go with the Ravens on this one. I think that Greg Roman is one of the best offensive coordinators in football. I think that he'll kind of look back at the game against the Steelers knowing what they're going up against in the Colts defense, which, like you said, is pretty good. I mean, Darius Leonard is one of the best linebackers in football, and you have maybe the most underrated defensive tackle in all of football in the Forrest Buckner, who I miss dearly on the 49ers. But, yeah, I'm going to go with the Ravens on this one just because I think that maybe Greg Roman tries to get Lamar Jackson going through the air in this game. Maybe we see a little bit more Marquise Brown here. Maybe we see some more Mark Andrews. This is one of the tougher games of the week to pick, in my opinion, and we'll get to the toughest one later on. This is going to be, I think, a defensive game for the most part. I do think, like I said, that Lamar Jackson will get going through the air, but this probably will be a low-scoring game. I'm going to roll with the Ravens here just – because I trust in that coaching staff to 
kind of turn things around. And I just don't, frankly, see them losing two games in a row. Moving on to uh, another NFC West team, we're going to talk about the Cardinals hosting the Miami Dolphins. Now, this will be Tua Tungavailoa's second start. Um, he came away with a win against the Cardinals division rival in the Rams. Granted, not his best performance uh, that we've seen out of him. This is obviously including college, but it, it was enough to get the win. He didn't make too many mistakes. You know, he was kind of lackluster through the air aside from that one touchdown to Vontae Parker. And the Cardinals, they're one of the more interesting teams, in my opinion. Their offense is spectacular. You know, Kyle Murray slinging the ball all over the field, Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins. But the Dolphins' defense is actually pretty dang good. So I think this is going to be an interesting game, and it quite honestly has some playoff implications. I mean, if the Dolphins win this game, they're right back in the wild card hunt in the ASC. So what are your thoughts on this game as a whole? I'm actually really, really looking forward to this game in the afternoon slot. I mean, I know obviously there's probably going to be a decent amount of people just because of the teams watching Steelers-Cowboys, but I, I'm i going to be fixated on this Dolphins-Cardinals game because it, like you said, it really, really interests me. You got Tua on the Dolphins side where, you know, didn't do that much last week but didn't really need to do that much um, in order to get the win against the Rams. And on on the Cardinals side, on the other hand, they'll be coming off a bye after beating Seattle a couple weeks back. And I saw that they could potentially get Kenyon Drake back. But even if they don't, Kyler Murray has been a beast so far this year. I think the most interesting thing that I'll be looking for in this game is how is Tua going to play in his second ever NFL game as a starter, that is. Because once again, he didn't need to do much last week, but still picked up a win. Now he's going on the road to Arizona to take on another young quarterback in Kyler Murray, who has proven himself to be extremely good this year. I haven't seen yet, that is. We know how, how Tua has been throughout his college career. I just haven't seen if, you know, he can win a close nip and tuck game. And I think that's what this game is going to come down to. So with that being said, I would personally just take Kyler Murray and the Cardinals this one kind of solely because of that. Because I, although I do think this is going to be a close game throughout pretty much the entirety of it, I would take Kyler over Tua, although Tua could very well come out and surprise me and play outstanding against Arizona this Sunday afternoon. But as of right now, I'm going to go Cardinals over Dolphins in this one. I tend to agree with you. You know, I think I'm going to go with the Cardinals in this one. And a lot of it is because although home field advantage obviously isn't as big now as it was in the past, this is Tua's first road start, and he's going from Miami to Arizona. So I want to see kind of how he reacts to that I think I'm going to go with Kyler Murray just kind of based on we haven't like you said seen a lot from Tua obviously I mean it's only one NFL start but we didn't see a lot in that one start to give me confidence that he can go and win a shootout with Kyler Murray one thing this is kind of just a, a little niche thing that I'm looking forward to in this game is seeing how Isaiah Simmons plays how much he plays he had the big interception against Russell Wilson in overtime and their win against the Seahawks, but he hasn't really played a whole lot. And just as a draft guy, he kind of someone I'm keeping an eye on. Not that this has a huge impact on this game as a whole, but just something I'm looking forward to. Another thing is that we saw what the Dolphins defense did to Jerry Goff. I mean, he was completely rattled. He looked terrible. 
I want to see if they have that same energy level against the Cardinals. I want to see if they can get in Kyler Murray's space and keep him contained in the pocket, which is something they didn't have to do against Jerry Goff, but it is something that is very important against Kyler Murray. All that being said, yeah, it's just something to look forward to. I am going with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals in this one. But like you said, it is maybe the most fascinating game of the weekend. And it is going to be a very, very good Sunday afternoon football game. So we're going to move on to our last game of the week, and that is Sunday night. New Orleans Saints are going into Tampa Bay to play Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Week one, we saw the Saints come out on top in this one, 34-23. However, these are two very different football teams now. Tom Brady has gotten that offense going. They are humming. The defense looks fantastic. I said last week they're the best team in the NFC. I still believe that. The Saints, they've not looked like themselves on offense, and they, they obviously didn't have Michael Thomas. They didn't have Emmanuel Sanders. But I think against this Tampa Bay defense, it might be a bit of a struggle to get back going. I want to know your thoughts on this game. Yeah, it's hard to have any hope in an offense that's going to be probably what with what it kind of seems like missing Michael Thomas and I believe Emmanuel Sanders coming into this game as well and this Bucks defense has just been so good this year you know you got Levante David you've got I think one of the most underrated picks in the entire draft in this past year in Antoine Winfield and this defense has been playing great granted they didn't look all that good Against the Giants this past Monday night, I mean, gave up 23 points. Giants scored in every single quarter, but they still got two interceptions off of Daniel Jones. I think this Bucks defense definitely is a top five defense in the NFC, or in the NFL, I should say. And it's just going to be hard, I think, for the Saints to move the ball against this Tampa Bay defense. They were kept close in their game against Chicago this past week, a game that we saw ended up going to overtime. And Drew Brees had to kind of fight his way down the field in that game as well. Threw for about 280 yards, still managed the game, and ended up pulling the Saints on top in that one. But this is a completely different beast. Um, One thing I do want to point out is I do still think this game is going to be close just because, you know, kind of looking at some of the Saints games that they've played this season, largest margin of victory on either side of the ball when it comes to the Saints was that 11-point victory back in week one against Tampa Bay. But as we're kind of talking about, these are two completely different teams. Saints are coming in on a four-game winning streak, but they haven't won a single one of those games by more than one possession. So I think when it comes down to it, Bucks defense against Saints offense, I think is going to be the key difference maker in this game, especially if Drew Brees is still missing some of those key skill players in Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And that being said, I'm going to take Tampa Bay in this one. The offense didn't look that good, especially in the first half against the New York Giants, but they definitely picked it up in the second half and ultimately were able to win against the Giants in New York 25-23. I'm going to take Tampa Bay in this one just kind of because of that reason that I think this Bucks offense is extremely good. I think it's going to be hard for Drew Brees and the Saints to move the ball downfield against them. Yeah, I definitely think this is going to be a close game. I mean, division rivalries are always really close and really good games no matter how good or bad the teams are I mean you for example this past week the Vikings go into Green Bay and win that game what I'm looking for in the Saints in this game is 
you know, your offense struggled a little bit against the Bears last week. And that's not something that you can do against this Buccaneers team. I mean, the, the Bucs are going to score points no matter what. We've, we've seen that. And this can't be one of those games where it's really hard-fought points for the Saints. You're going to have to score. You're going to have to get the ball and score quickly because that's what the Bucs are going to do. I agree with you. I am going to go Bucks in this one. I do think this will be a relatively close game just because, like I said, the division rivalries are always really close games. But I just think the Bucks are a superior team to the Saints at this point on both sides of the ball, frankly. I, the Saints' defense is okay, but you're not going to hold the Bucs down. Like, they're going to score their points. They're going to get theirs. So if the Saints want to win this game, they're going to have to get going on offense. And if that means that Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are out, you're going to have to get going without those guys. You're going to have to figure out a way. You're going to have to get Alvin Kamara as many touches as he can because we know what he can do with the ball in his hands. He can make something out of nothing. This is obviously a very important game in the NFC playoff race, and we're getting to that point where every single game matters when you're looking forward to the playoffs, especially a division game between two teams that only have two losses. So I am really interested to see what the Saints and Sean Payton could cook up against this Bucks defense. I don't know that it'll be enough. I don't think it'll be enough. But like I said, it's going to be a good game no matter what because these two teams hate each other, frankly. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to have to roll Bucks with this one. I just don't trust the Saints offense in this game, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I do think this is going to be a fun game. I think, you know, NFC South divisional rivals, Breeze Brady, I think that's going to be really fun, really um, tight, close game. And I will say, I think, if I were to take a guess, I think it's going to be a better Sunday night game than what we saw this past week. What do you think about that? I don't know, man. It's going to be pretty tough. We don't have Ben DiNucci in this one. We just have some scrubs named Brady and Breeze. I don't know about that take. Yeah, I think the, the Ben DiNucci factor isn't there. So I I don't know. I think it could go either way. Yeah, we don't have the hype of Ben DiNucci coming into this game. There's not much else you can say about it. So unless you have any final thoughts, I think this just about wraps it up for episode four from the Shotgun. I know we talked about Nevada earlier in the, in the podcast. Do the pack roll to 3-0 and this week? I'll ask you that real quick before we leave. I'm going to have to say they do at home against Utah State. This obviously isn't the same Utah State team that it was last year, regardless of how good or bad you think Jordan Love is. He made this team pretty competitive week in and week out. Nevada's favored by 17 points. I don't think that that is going to be the case, but I do think that they roll against Utah State. This, frankly, isn't that good of a Utah State team, and Coming off that win against UNLV, they have to be pretty pumped up, regardless of UNLV is bad this year. But so is Utah State, and I will roll with Carson Strong, which is not something I would have said last year, but I will roll with Carson Strong in the pack to edge out the Aggies. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. As I wasn't a huge Carson Strong believer last year, but so far this year, he's been proving us wrong. I mean, put up big numbers against Wyoming, played once again well against UNLV this past week um, and he's got the weapons to do so as well I know you talked about your dude Romeo Dubs last week and that dude's just a monster I mean I kind of you know, I was watching the UNLV game and he's huge like 
that is a large human being in Romeo Dubs. Like it almost looks like he's like, like enlarged, like he's like a still image and he's enlarged compared to the other wide receivers that Nevada has, but he's good. He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. He can go up and catch the ball. And I agree with you in the sense too, that I would not touch that 17 point spread because um, although Utah state, hasn't looked that good so far this year. It's still what has historically been, at least over the past couple of years, a good football program. And they've ran the gauntlet so far, uh, losing to Boise State and San Diego State. So I wouldn't touch that 17-point spread, but I do see the Pack winning this game by multiple possessions, probably a two-possession game for Nevada in the end. And, you know, even looking forward in Nevada's schedule, these next two games are huge. I mean, you look at Utah State and New Mexico, they're not great teams, but they are must-win games for the pack because after those two, you are hosting San Diego State, which is huge because if you can beat the Aztecs, you have a shot at getting to the Mountain West title. And the Mountain West isn't doing divisions, I don't think, this year, but you beat San Diego State, you are on the path to the title game because you don't get Boise this year. So every game, no matter how lackluster the opponent is, is big for this football team. Yeah, I definitely foresee Nevada, especially when it's all said and done, being at the very least a top four team in the Mountain West this year, besides, you know, your San Diego State and your Boise State. Nobody else in the Mountain West so far this year has really made waves in my mind. I mean, Hawaii looked really good against Fresno State, but they laid an absolute egg against Wyoming this past week. Fresno State lost, but then picked up a win at home against Colorado State this past week. Um, and yeah, Mountain West kind of been all over the place, and Nevada somehow, some way, has uh, moved their way to 2-0. and And like you said, with those two games against Utah State and New Mexico coming up, you could move to 4-0 coming into that game against San Diego State. And then I think after that, they've got a very good chance, very realistic chance of running the table if they're able to get past the Aztecs and defend their home turf. Yeah, I think this is kind of the first year that I've been here that I'm really excited for what this football team can do, aside from, you know, that win against uh, those Boilermakers from the Big Ten last year at home. <laughs> that was fun. I wasn't able to make it to that game because I was I was doing high school football uh, down in Vegas and uh, – I was like, you know, I was checking my phone and it was like 31, I think it was 31-17 Purdue in the second half. I'm just like, man, this is the same old Nevada team. They're just, you know, they're probably easily going to lose this game by 14, 20 points or something like that. And then we look later on. I didn't check the score at all just because I kind of resigned myself to that. And I see they win 34-31. So, yeah, that was an absolutely exciting game last year. Shouts out Brandon Tolton. But, yeah, this is a Nevada team that's, that's fun to watch this year. It's fun throughout these first two games at least to watch this offense do what they've been doing back-to-back 37 point games and it they've been moving the football with ease yeah you talk about that Purdue game got everyone excited and they go into Eugene Oregon and get steamrolled 77 to 6 against the Ducks but I think now that we've gotten our Nevada football talk in there I think that'll just about do it for episode four we got a good schedule ahead of us. We got some exciting games coming up this week in the NFL, and we're excited to announce, actually, that we are now on Apple Podcasts. You can find us there. You can find us on Spotify and 
basically anywhere else you get podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at From the Shotgun. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean M. O'Leary. And you can follow TJ at TJ Sarbacker. So, TJ, this was a fun one. It's good talking to you. And we'll be back next week with episode five from the Shotgun.